0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I think there's something about that song that we just sang that is a reminder. It's almost this like haunting melody, this, this song that reminds us that um. There's pain and there's loss and there's there's hurt and yet this chorus rings out that we rejoice as Kathy said so beautifully because we know that God has come and that He is with us. And I do believe that this message somehow um, would honor Ed and would really speak to all of us who are in that that in-between place, where we know God is here, and yet we're waiting on his promise at the same time. And I wanted to ask you this morning, have you ever felt like the world was against you? You've ever felt like things were just not going the way you hoped, or everything felt like it was against you? And then I want you to hold that thought. Um, we're in the middle of a series right now and we're going through songs of Christmas and Tom and I have been talking about different songs and the origin and the history behind those songs and then uh, kind of how it connects and relates to this amazing story of Christ's birth. And so I hope you've been able to join us for some of these. If you haven't, I wanted to do just a quick recap So week one, I shared about a little town of Bethlehem and the story of this man who was in such a deep place of despair that he left Pennsylvania and went across the ocean to the Holy Land in Israel and how he found peace and this hope and this fresh reminder of God's presence in the middle of a field in Israel. And God gave him the inspiration for this song and the hope to keep going and serving in the ministry that he had. And it was a reminder for us that sometimes the very darkness in our lives and the very broken things in our lives are what propel us on this journey to seek the light, to know a God that is greater than all those things we are going through. And then we too, Tom shared about um, Angels from the Realm of Glory, and he talked about how the, really the author of this song was, in some ways, a rebel against the grain of the traditions of the church, and in, not just in a negative way, but in a way where he um, was countering just the traditions that, um, that did not serve. The full beauty of god's of God's heart for for worship in the church. And so he created, in a sense, this revolution. And Tom talked about how um, really that mirrors who Jesus was, because he was a revolutionary, and he came to overturn all human tradition and lead people to Christ himself, to God himself. And that was an amazing uh, analogy. I think Tom did that beautifully. And he says that we get to be part of that revolution too. And it's going to be costing us something, but it's absolutely worth it. And then last week I shared about the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and how it had its roots really in slavery, but it became this anthem of freedom. And I talked a little bit about how God's word... Similar to that song, God's word and his gospel for us is always about freedom for our spiritual lives and for justice. And so when we seek God and we, we encounter him, we're going to encounter his freedom. And that when we share that freedom with the rest of the world, we have to first experience it deep in our hearts before we can shout it from the mountain. And so that brings us to today as we're leading up to to Christmas in just a few days and wrapping up the Advent season here. Today we're gonna be sharing, I'll be sharing about uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which the team sang so beautifully. And so I wanna come back to that question again. Have you ever felt like the world was just working against you? Maybe you felt like you never had a chance. You know, maybe, maybe you have a teacher who's like, Oh, man, you just feel like they do not get you and they don't like you and they are, you know, you just can't win for them. Maybe for you it's um, the system. Maybe, maybe like you were wrongfully accused of something. Maybe um, a system that was supposed to protect you didn't. And you feel cheated and abandoned. And you feel like you just can't catch a break. Maybe you feel like no matter how much or how hard you try to get ahead, you know, like just an illness or a parenting struggle or just a personal issue you're going through, maybe it just feels like you keep getting knocked down and you're like, I don't know. Everything just seems to be stacked against me. And as Kathy said, maybe even in this Christmas season, sometimes we still feel that, the weight of the brokenness and the things around us that don't seem to be changing. Maybe you wonder if your life even matters and if there's hope. For your story. And so I want to introduce you to a song that I believe may meet you in those really dry and and skeptical and even doubtful places that you may be experiencing. To remind you of a God we follow and serve that is a master storyteller. So our song today is a beautiful example of this. Um, It's it's probably originally at least 1,200 years old, and it may have originated as a poem out of a monastery um, in the 8th or 9th century. And initially, it would have been used more as like a chant. In fact, over the years, um, I was reading that it would be used maybe in the Catholic or even some Orthodox churches during vespers, which are the night services, um, as part of the O antiphons, or short chants, Um, As leading up to the Christmas day. And so um, it was probably like monotonous and uh, just this, this, um, again, this kind of chanting of a poem. Um, And I'm not sure if they were singing or if it was just more um, just spoken out. So it, it was not something that was likely to become, you know, a popular Christmas song hit that we know today. However, the poem was discovered by a person named John Mason Neal, um, who was also unlikely to perhaps be known for much of anything based on his life. You see, born in London in 1818, um, from my reading, John Mason Neal had a lot of things stacked against him. He was well-educated, and he he did really well at school, although he did poorly at math, and that was a problem for him. So if you struggle with math, he would understand you. but unfortunately, although he was ordained in the Church of England in 1842, uh, because of some, some differences of opinion and people that just did not like what he stood for, the church would not um, give him a parish. They would not allow him to preach or to teach in a, a standard um, church uh, ch- church like the, like the one here. So he was not able to resume this position that really he was well-qualified for, even though he was a gifted communicator. And of course, he could have sat there and said, well, no one will let me do the thing that I'm made to do. And he could have given up, but instead he did not. And so he was, instead of being given a parish, he was relegated to service as a warden at Sackville College. Now, not only this, but his life was filled with um, illness. Um, He was uh, only, I think, in his 60s when he died. He died in 1866. Um, he spent his entire life in illness. Um, sorry, he wasn't in his 60s, 40s. Um, math is clearly not my strong suit either. <laughs> we'll just let that go. Um, so anyway, but he, he was sick and he was, did not, so aside from just having the church that was against him, he had this illness that he, that he struggled with his whole life. But despite all this, Neil... Much like we talked about last week with Jesus, Neil was a person that served and cared deeply for the marginalized. And so throughout his life, he was serving, whether it was um, helping with a retirement home for men who who lived in poverty or serving ministries that helped prostitutes or other marginalized people. Um, He even helped to establish the Society of St. Margaret, which was an order of women who cared for the sick. And that that was what they did. And so he had, this, he had this really vibrant ministry, really. And I wonder, actually, if he had gotten that parish that he wanted, I wonder if maybe he would have not done all these other things, these things that really, in my mind, were that much more meaningful. But he was serving people. But Neil was also known, aside from all these ministries, he was known for writing and translating music and hymns. And so, at some point, Neil discovered this poem, this O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and he translated it into, into English and, and coupled it. Now, I'm not entirely sure. One, one source that I found says that he may have found um, this, the music that he may have used for it may have come from, like, a French nun, and it may have been originally a funeral song. So one more unlikely piece to the story, Um, but he was influential in creating the song as we know it today and translating it and bringing it into into both Protestant and Catholic churches that now sing it um, every year. And so many people know this song and are touched by it. And one of the reasons that Neil actually liked this song initially, that when he saw this poem, um, that he was struck by how um, theologically um, just powerful it was, and, and that the words of this song spoke so clearly to God and who he is and the theology of what God has done for us. And so I want to just take for a minute... And I wanna go through five stanzas from this song and just talk a little bit about um, what they speak to us and what they tell us about God because each one of these stanzas we're gonna go through shares a different name of God. And as we, we did a whole series earlier this year about um, who God is and the names of God, and there's something powerful about knowing his names partly because it gives us an idea of his character and who he is and how he wants to interact with us in the midst of our unique circumstances. And so there's something really powerful about knowing his names and even some people like to pray different names of God as it connects to them and relates to them But also the first four stanzas I'm going to share also talk about a prophecy of Jesus. And a prophecy would have been a message or a revelation given ahead of time to to explain something that was going to happen in the future. And so these first four stanzas all have prophecies from the Old Testament that refer specifically to Jesus' coming as a baby in Bethlehem. And so we're going to jump right into the first stanza, uh, which gives us the name Emmanuel for Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Now this this stanza is a reference to Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And if we fast forward like super far into the future, Matthew 1, 18-23 shares the specific answer to this prophecy. Um, And you should know that this prophecy happened 700 years before Jesus was born, which is pretty amazing. And Matthew says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that Matthew uh, does the legwork for us. He does the research and he he knew the prophecy and he he pulls it into the story so we know not only did this thing happen, but God told about it for so many years before. God is Emmanuel, the one who comes with us to be with us. The second stanza tells us the name of God that is the shoot or the rod of Jesse. Um, Now this may be a little bit confusing, like what is the the shoot or the rod of Jesse? Um, So basically we're thinking of like a branch, a branch off of, if you could picture just a tree or a plant, it's an offshoot of. um, And so this would have been from... um, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, uh, this is the reference. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And so again, you see that, even what we talked about last week, this this continued tie-in to the God of justice, the God who is there for the needy and the poor. Um, But specifically, this reference to the offshoot of Jesse, um, you may not be familiar as familiar with the name Jesse, but you probably know jesse's son David. Now David was the king that was known as a as man after God's own heart, and he um, arguably was probably one of the best kings, if not the best king that we see in the old testament um, there's a it's not saying much because it was a pretty sad lineup but um, he was the youngest son of King Jesse, another man that was unlikely to become king, unlikely to succeed, but God had other plans. Um, And now if you look in the book of Matthew, what's interesting is you'll find a genealogy. Now genealogies are like, it's like ads on YouTube. Everyone just wants to skip past them to get to the the good stuff. Um, But what's interesting, if you look at the genealogy in Matthew, he painstakingly references Jesus' history all the way back to Abraham. And now it's interesting because Abraham was originally also given a promise. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to bless all people through you. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy about Abraham. He was the blessing that would be for all the people. But if you go through that genealogy, you also see that Jesus is a direct descendant of Jesse and King David. And so this idea that Jesus is the offshoot of or the... um, the rod of Jesse. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And I think it's amazing, and I'll touch on this in a little bit, but just this idea that that for generations and generations and generations, God had this plan in motion, and he was faithful to fulfill that promise, and Jesus was the fulfillment. The third stanza we see calls God Dayspring. It says, O come, thou Dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here." disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. This is a reference to Malachi 4.2, also in the Old Testament. And it says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Rise with healing in its wings. This idea that Jesus is like the sun that rises and gives light to the world and gives healing, and we know from reading about Jesus that a large part of his ministry and the way that people knew that he had authority from God was that he did heal people, and he would people would come to him all the time to be healed. And so it's this beautiful image that we have of Jesus and who he is. Um, and again, if you look throughout the scripture, you will see so many references to Jesus as light. Um, and it's really, it's actually kind of a fun search if you ever want to look that up. Um, there's so much hope in, in knowing God as light in the darkness. Um, the fourth stanza I'm going to touch on is, known, God is known as King Key of David. I don't think we actually sang this one today. Sometimes I don't know why certain stanzas we sing, we don't sing. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, but this one says, O oh, come thou Key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery and this is a reference to Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, which says, I will place on his shoulder, meaning Jesus, the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And again, this is a reference back to King David. And God had said that someone eventually would reign from, from the line of King David, but that they would reign forever. And Jesus, again, is the fulfillment of, of this authority and this kingdom that can never be shaken, and He is given such power that what He what He opens cannot be shut, and what He shuts cannot be open. I also think it's interesting that that phrasing because it reminds me of when Jesus speaks to Peter, His disciple, and He says that Peter's the rock, and He says, "On this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hail, the gates of Hades will not overcome it." And He tells Peter, "I give you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth." will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I think there's this interesting uh, parallel here and how Jesus has this ultimate authority and yet he gives it to Peter as well. And to us, when we, when we follow Jesus, when we seek him and we serve him, he gives us this authority as well to serve and love and live as he did. And there's power there that I think we don't always fully understand. But Jesus is the key of David. He has the authority He is the king of the kingdom that we are receiving, that is unshakable. And the final stanza I want to touch on um, simply calls God Adonai. And Adonai would have been, basically it means Lord of Lords. It's it's the plural of Lord. And so it's this this God of might, this God that is above every other name, above every other power or authority. Um, There's different... Different variations, some say, O come, thou wisdom from on high, some say, O come, O come, Adonai, and order all things far and nigh, to us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. And as I was researching, I wasn't really finding a specific prophecy from the Old Testament that, that this verse or that this name of God is referencing, but it shows up in Revelation eight, which says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And it's this idea that Jesus is the the Alpha and Omega, is the first and the last. He is the beginning of the story and the end of the story. He is holding all things together. Jesus is the full fulfillment of the prophecy and the promises um, and if you want to look, Matthew alone, I was looking this uh, this week. Matthew alone has at least twelve references to how Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. Um, I think that's fascinating. And again, I like that I appreciate that Matthew does that, that he pulls out these references for us so we don't um, have to always go searching ourselves. But I actually had a hard time looking up how many prophecies for Jesus there actually are. Uh, there's some people that will suggest that there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Um, the earliest one I could think of probably is when uh, in the Garden of Eden, when in the middle of the curse, Jesus says at one point that the Son of Eve. Is going to strike the serpent's heel, and I believe that's a reference to Jesus defeating the enemy fully and completely. Um, but there are so many prophecies about Jesus, and a couple of things stand out to me about these prophecies that are that are significant. First of all, um, that like I said before, so many of these promise, prophecies were at least seven hundred years before Jesus came. Now that is like that is a crazy long time to wait for something to happen. And I could not think of something in our time that would even come close to making sense in, that, in the way that Jesus did this or that God did this. Because, like, can you imagine someone sending out a save the date for their wedding 10 years before they actually meet the person they're gonna marry? Like, that'd be a little awkward. And especially if they were like, yep, and she's gonna have, you know, she's definitely gonna be from this town and I'm pretty sure she's gonna, you know, this, this, and this, very specific details. We'd be like, yeah, maybe you should wait. I'm probably not going to clear my schedule just yet. And then during COVID, oh, my gosh, like, I feel like I can't even prepare past maybe today with everything that's going on right now. We had recently a, the dreaded phone call from our school that one of our kids was a close contact to someone who had COVID. Thankfully, I'll go ahead and give you the spoiler. He's fine. Negative. We're we're all good. Um, but we kept him home, and of course, this is my social child, and so he was just like withering up with lack of interaction with other people. Um, but, it, you know, it was a mild inconvenience, but it definitely made me stop and think like, oh, you know, people would be like, should we, can we do something on Thursday? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can't, I'm not sure, I'll get back to you. Um, and then aside from that, I feel like even just the way that I, I'm so used to being home now, does anyone else feel that way? you you just used to being home? And so if someone's like, hey, do you want to do something later tonight? In the morning, I feel like hanging out. But probably by the evening, I'm going to feel like just being in my pajamas and sipping my tea and watching my Netflix. So I can't make a plan at 10 a.m. for 7 p.m. that night. Like, and so it's crazy to me that Jesus would not only make this plan, that he would plan the rescue for the world before the world even needed rescuing. He knew this before Everything even when it's broken. But not only did he know the plan, but he tweeted about it 700 years in advance. Like, this is who God is. And the reason that I wouldn't want to share that news so early is because, my goodness, how many things could go wrong in that time, right? It's like, maybe, maybe you don't want to give the specific location, Bethlehem, that Jesus is going to be born from. Maybe, maybe you don't want to give all these references to, um, you know, the fact that he's going to be a healer. maybe, Maybe you want to leave a little bit of room for ambiguity just in case we need plan B. And that's not what Jesus does. God says, I'm going to give you a heads up because I am confident that I am faithful. That he who promised is faithful to us. And so I think what's interesting here is that God makes this promise so far in advance And then things do go wrong, or things seem to go wrong. And that is perhaps another thing that's very interesting to me about this prophecy. Because it almost seems like no matter what goes wrong, no matter what things in the story are obstacles, God actually ends up using those obstacles to fulfill the prophecy. To see what I mean, I just think it's interesting that, first of all, like countless people could have been killed, like even King David himself was in constant danger of dying long before he could have had offspring. And so it's like, well, God, you know, that that wouldn't have been great if David had died too soon. And then you have all these people that were in the family lineage of, of Jesus, like Ruth, who was a foreigner and really had no business being in the family lineage at all. And yet God used that and he brought her in at just the right time. And she's part of this heritage and then you look at the final hour and you look at even when Jesus was born and the way that um, this major inconvenience that his parents went up from Galilee and Nazareth and had to travel all the way to Bethlehem for this census. And it's like, oh, that's a drag. And yet Jesus had said that that Jesus, or God had said that Jesus was going to come out of Bethlehem. Furthermore, at some point, Joseph um, Jesus' dad got a dream that, that Jesus was in trouble because the king wanted to kill all the babies two years and under, all the baby boys, because he was so worried about this threat of a new king who's a baby. And it's definitely like paranoid much, okay? Let's, maybe, maybe you're overthinking this. Um, but Herod did. He went and killed all these babies, but Jesus was spared because his family went to Egypt and hid there as refugees. And that's another prophecy because God says, out of Egypt I called my son, And then ultimately, they end up back in Nazareth. It's like they come full circle because Jesus gave another, or God gave another dream to Joseph that they could move back, that Jesus was safe. And the Bible also says, the prophecy says that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. So I just think it's interesting if you look back through all these, the story of Jesus and all these things that seemed like obstacles, that seemed like they were working against the story, and God was using those very details and detours to fulfill what he promised so long ago. And it got me thinking, you know, it got me thinking, maybe it's a little bit like Neil's story. And we look at Neil's story, the man who wrote, or translated, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And his story didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that he would become an influential person that's well-remembered or well-known. But God had other plans. And if we look at Neil's story, and if we look especially at the story of Jesus, who was, you know, killed at age 30, or in his 30s, I should say, killed because even though he came, his own did not receive him. And even though he was the son of God, the, the spiritual leaders of the time instead wanted to, to get rid of him. And he certainly was not given a parish or a synagogue to call his own to preach in. No, he was shunned by the leaders of his time. And yet God had plans to use Even his death, which should have been the end of the story, right? And I think the enemy thought it was. But God had plans to use that death as the very thing that would rescue us all and save us and bring us to Jesus and and allow us to have that beautiful relationship with him. And so I just want to leave you with this idea that as you look at your own life, you may feel like you're stuck You may feel like the world is stacked, like everything is stacked against you, and you may look at your life and say, man, this person won't give me a chance, and I I just can't seem to catch a break. And we can even look around at the suffering around us, and and we can think, man, it's just what what is happening? Does God see this? Does he care? And I don't want to minimize our suffering. I don't want to minimize the loss at all. But I also want us to know that the story is not over yet. And the same God, the same God who who over 700 years wove together this story that brought his prophecy into fulfillment through Jesus, that same God still has promises for us. He still has promises and he's not leaving us alone. And I think if nothing else, the story of Jesus is not just this beautiful reminder and this, this, this joy of, rem, of remembering God as a baby, it is a powerful reminder that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He's going to show up. He's going to come through. All of our promises in Jesus are yes. I think sometimes we don't like waiting. And I know if you're like me, sometimes I look around and I'm like, oh God, I just, I just want you to fix it all already. I just want it all to be done. Um... Everything feels like it's taking an eternity. In fact, I read a quote recently from a book called Destination Bethlehem, and the author talks about rushing into an elevator, and the woman said to him, this woman was in there already, she said, no need to rush. The elevator is so slow, it's like an eternity. She added, "Um, in fact, she added, I timed it once. I said to myself, this thing takes an eternity, so I'll time it. 45 seconds. 45 seconds from the 12th floor to the lobby. And he said, there you have it. In New York City, eternity takes 45 seconds. But maybe we feel that a little bit, don't we? Sometimes we feel like we're waiting, and we're just waiting, and we don't always see God answering, or we don't understand what's going on, and we can feel this burden and this weight, and it feels like an eternity, doesn't it? The promises of God often seem slow. If they seem like they're coming at all, but if there's one thing I know of God, He will come through. The book of Revelation can be confusing at times, but it gives us a powerful glimpse of the hope that Jesus is calling us to. And Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What an image. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, For the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you, but that is a promise that I am desperately holding on to. That is a beautiful promise and a vision that when everything else is falling apart, I know that God is still coming through. And I don't know where you are today and where your pains are, where your hurts are. I imagine that for many of us, we can look back and we can see at God's hand. We can see the promises he's fulfilled in our own lives, the ways he's worked in miraculous ways. And sometimes I think we have to hold on to those even in the midst of our waiting and to remember that God is good. But as we leave today, I just want to remind you, Christ is the complete fulfillment of past Prophecy and future promises. He is the complete fulfillment of all these past promises and prophecies, and that's why we trust Him to be the hope for our future promise. And also, in light of that, our lives are fulfilled and our stories are complete in Christ alone. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter if you feel like you're insignificant or unseen or that everything is stacked against you, God is able to use stories that don't make sense in powerful, beautiful ways. And in Christ alone, we have worth, we have purpose, we have freedom, and we have hope. And so, again, even though this song is haunting and it's, um, it can feel heavy, the, the beautiful chorus of that song, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, has come to thee, O Israel. And so we declare with confidence, the story is not over, and the story we know is good. So let's hold unswervingly to the faith we profess as we leave today, and as we enter this Christmas week, um, may our hearts hold space for that, for that promise that God has for all of us. And let's pray together. God, I know that there is a heaviness and an emptiness. God, we um, we just want to pray over the Angala family. And right now, just asking for your presence to be with them, that your peace would comfort um, and that they would feel you as Emmanuel in very tangible ways as they're grieving this week. I pray for all of us who are carrying heavy burdens or missing loved ones or... Um, Feeling, feeling a little piece of the death that we know still lingers, I just ask for you to come and meet us in those places. I pray that you would fill us in the dry and empty and doubting places, God. But I ask that you would fill us too with a reminder of your love and your story that is so much bigger. And may we feel, be full of the joy of that knowledge as we enter in this Christmas season. We love you, God. Amen.